Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is photographer Michael Muller. Now, Michael has been an incredibly successful Hollywood photographer. He shot every Marvel poster and actor that you can think of. But more importantly, Michael Muller is a photographer who takes his passions and brings them into the next part of his art, which is his fear and reverence for sharks. He took 13 years to shoot the majestic great whites, something he was really afraid of, and shot them in their environment. He explains what we know, what we don't know, what we're afraid, and what we just don't understand about sharks through his images and now through his VR project. We also talk about being a creative. What's that like to take on an occupation that is unknown? It's uncharted waters. You know, how do you adapt? How do you change? He's a father of three daughters. How does his wife feel about him diving with the great whites? I just, I love Michael Muller as a person. I learned so much about sharks and about him, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hello, Ma. Push the earth away, Gabby. Okay, so Michael Muller, I'm going to start by reading you this, okay? A great man does not seek applause or place. He seeks for truth. He seeks the road to happiness, and what he ascertains, he gives to others. And that is a quote by Robert Greene Ingersoll. I probably botched it. But when I asked your wife, because there's so many obvious things to celebrate about you, and we're going to get into that, and so many badass things, but I said, what are, what are we missing about um, your husband, about Michael? And she quoted that poem, and she said that your willingness to, you know, regardless of what you were going through, always put your attention on other people or wanting to help other people was a, it was a really powerful trait of yours. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, when I heard that quote, the, the first part talks about applause, and then, you know, if we're going for truth and stuff, and I, mm-hmm. I could relate to both parts of it, because I think for a lot, a lot, you know, a long time and a big part of my life, I was seeking that applause. Uh, and, you know, from a journey within, it changes and evolves into seeking the truth. And, but I've always, I've always uh, had a big heart for trying to help people, planet, uh, things, and probably should put some of that attention towards myself, which I do not as much, though. Well, yeah, I want to... I want to... witnessed. <laughs> well, you do a lot of things, Muller. I mean, yeah. you have a family, you have three daughters... You are traveling around the world, you know, shooting and and doing projects and making projects happen from scratch. But let's back up to, you know, someone growing up. Uh, Maybe you could just share a little bit of where you grew up and, you know, maybe what the the expectation was going to be of you when you went out into the world. I had an interesting childhood. You know, I I was born... 20 miles north of here in, in Thousand Oaks. My dad was developing that whole area, um, Newberry Park, um, Calabasas, and so, but moved when I was like three or four to Northern California. And um, what was it like halfway through third grade, got transferred, my dad got transferred to Saudi Arabia. So I moved to Saudi Arabia through, you know, halfway through third grade, which was, you know, I went through parochial school, so Catholic school till I was in second grade. Um, my mom had an experience in her life, yanked us out of that, put us into public school. Six months into public school, get yanked out, moved to Saudi Arabia. 
go into a classroom with 17 girls and three boys, which wasn't bad. I got to say, I like those odds. Um, yeah. yeah. You're always uh, surrounded by women. <laughs> yeah. Women play a very big, uh, pivotal role in my life. I've, I've both known, but really discovered lately. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, it was an amazing opportunity. I traveled and we traveled every three, four months around the world, went to 60 countries, you know, growing up. So, you know, but I had a very, the dichotomy, I had a dad that was German, blue eyed, blonde haired, you know, math engineer, um, incredibly smart, um, and a mom who was Native American, Portuguese, you know, <laughs> what are you trying to make me laugh? Uh, so, you know, I got the, I got a mix of both of those, you know, and the expectations of me growing up, I don't think my, my father quite understood me or knew what to do with me. Um, and, uh, but you know, they always were very supportive, um, very supportive. I was definitely... When you say that, like, because, I, I mean, we all go through this as parents. You think that you, we, like I, for example, I'm learning. I have a daughter who s- speaks different language. Mm-hmm. You know, she is more heart-based and creative. And I think as a parent, initially, maybe you don't even, you think, oh, I'm going to make them fit into my plan. And then you get, you go through it a little longer and you think, oh, wait a second, maybe I need to learn a new language. Do you think your dad just thought, oh, I don't speak the same language as this kid? Yeah, I mean, they, that's a, you know, it's also generational. He came from a way different generation than even, you know, we did and, mm-hmm. and our kids are, are, are getting from us. So um, I think, you know, men at that time didn't really have the tools to show their emotions and uh, nurture in those ways. He, he didn't understand the artistic side. I don't think he understood or quite knew, to, knew what to do with the pain that I was dealing with as a kid. Um, and... Um, and I know he saw it and wanted to, but just didn't have the capacity to. Um, so, you know, that was a... Did your mom? You know, my mom had a different set of tools that, you know, she... Yes and no. I mean, she... Um, you know, when when you asked about the support of what, what struck out to me was I remember when I came home one day and I was like, I, I want a bike. I want to start riding a bike. Like, I want to do triathlons. And they're like, okay. And they're like, well... Oh. If we get you a bike, are you going to ride? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to ride it. I'll do it. And they're like, okay. And they went out and got me a bike and, you know, started racing and doing triathlons, you know, at a pretty young age. But that, like, stuck out to me. So they were always, you know, my dad gave me his first, my first camera. And that was his hobby. So, um, and, you know, let us let me travel to Europe at 16 by myself with my best friend to do our snowboarding calendar. So they were pretty, I mean, I also grew up, like I said, traveling around the world. It was a different time, so. Um, but supportive, but you know, the home front, I mean, you were bringing up your, your daughters. I was thinking about mine and, um, I think, you know, as parents, we want them to protect them and have them to have that perfect childhood and not have that, those traumas and and the challenges. And the fact is, is that every kid, every person goes through that and we, we can't avoid it. And I think the, the sooner, at least for myself, I accept that and know that I'm part of those challenges, you know, just like my parents helped shape me. I'm hoping to shape them in good ways and maybe not such good ways yeah. or ways that I'd prefer not to. But, you know, that's just part of the cycle. And I think, you know, just accepting that and learning how to look at yourself and be like, oh, yeah, OK, how do I help give them tools to deal with this path that I sent them down? Yeah, I think that's very that's a really interesting moment when you realize as a parent that you're like part of the job is also being part of the problem. Mm hmm. <laughs> You're just like, it's just interesting. And and then there's a, the surrender. 
it doesn't mean you don't stop trying to be better, but it's that moment of like, oh, wait a second, no matter what I do or how much I'm trying to pay attention, there's a part of the way that I am and who I am that is part of the problem for my kid. Yeah. And acceptance of that. It's a huge pill to swallow, right? Huge to be able to be like, oh, I am part of, I am part of the problem, right? I mean, you can also be part of the solution too. You can either avoid it and deny it and mm-hmm. try to point your fingers at all the other things that caused it or accept it and be like, okay, you know, how can we work around this or how do, how do I help give them the best tools to deal with this so they don't have to repeat the cycle over and over again and wait till they're in their 30s or 40s to figure it out. Right. Well, and Kimberly said this about you. She said, Kimberly, your wife, she said the thing that one of the other things that she really admired so much that she had a lot to say was that you're always willing to look at it. Do you Mm -hmm. think you were always like that? Or do you think you got to a place? Because I know for me personally, I I certainly, it took me having kids to really say, okay, I'll take a look at it. Everyone else, it was their problem. Meaning, oh, if you don't like it, beat it. And I think that when my kids came around, I was like, okay, I better take a look at that. Do you think you've always sort of been willing to, to look at it? A little bit, but, but it's definitely, I think, you know, like you said, kids, kids made it uh, much more in your face, as, w- as well as a wife. You know, when you marry a husband or a wife, it's a mirror, right? At least in my opinion, it's a mirror to say, here's the work you got to do. Um, because, we're, you know, I think we're accustomed to pointing our finger at like, oh, if you did this and she did that and da, 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 da. And it's really all Michael. It's Michael working on Michael and how I hear things and how I react to things, and that's it. That's the only thing that I can evolve and work on and change if I'm going to have a, a different experience tomorrow or today. Right. Or I can continue to have the same experience and continue doing the same thing, not look at it and point my finger at everyone else. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. the not looking, I think the looking at it's scarier in the short term, but the not looking at it's just scarier in the long term. <laughs> It's, you know, it's, I, I think it's the hardest work we do as humans, and it's the work that I think gets avoided the most, that, that inner work and that real brutal honesty, like, this is me, you know, um, like I've heard, you know, embracing that, you know, the sh- your shadow self and integrating it into part of you. I think for so long I tried to avoid it or, you know, had this shame and guilt surrounding it, you know, instead of being like, no, it's part of me and come out from behind, put my arms around it and be like, no, acceptance. You know, I definitely had this bar. When I walked in, you asked me how things were doing and this expectation of others to do what they say they're going to do or to, you know, just live it with these principles that um, you don't find in everyone these days. And those principles, like, I feel like knowing you that those are just innate you're you it seems like i'm sure your parents put them helped talk about that but it feels like that's how you're hardwired that you have this expectation about from yourself that then obviously you'd be like well i said i would do this and so when you say you're going to do that you you will i i think you know what's interesting is to watch kind of all the ways that you've expressed yourself so let's let's go back so after school Tell, tell me what you decided to do. An after school special? Yeah, no, after school special. Um, after which grade, school? Like run, like high school? Yeah, high school. What, so high what's school, in your yeah. mind? What are you thinking? Who you're, how you're going to express yourself in, out in the world? <laughs> how, what am I thinking? How can I get the heck out of here as quickly as I can was what I was thinking, which my car was packed and I left the day after I graduated high school and moved to San Diego. So I know that was on my mind. 
Um, what was the plan? Did you have one? Or are you going to shack up with some buddies? No, I was I was doing triathlons at the time. I was mm-hmm. like fifth in the world. Mm-hmm. I was you know up there and I was uh, you know competing with professionals and I was either turning pro, um, which I went down and did sort of a year. I went to San Diego. It was San Diego or Boulder, Colorado, were the two like meccas of triathlon. Now, Muller, would you say that you're built to be built like other triathlon triathletes? <laughs> Well, back then I had three percent body fat, so I was. It's not lean about body machine. fat. It's about also like, uh, you know, th- that's you're a you're a stronger yeah. person. Yeah. But my body, I think this is this body was those five years of doing those triathlons. Because no one in my family has is built the way I am. Really? Yeah. No one. They're not. What was easy for you? What was hard in the race? The swimming and the biking. I was a you know water polo player coming from a swimming background. Mm-hmm. And so that, and, and living in Northern California, biking the Berkeley Hills 50, 60 miles a day, the runners just couldn't catch me, and I hated running. So I went to San Diego, and it was like swim, bike, and run for the next 10 years, and then what am I going to do? And, you know, or my photography. So I'd been doing photography in high school, mm-hmm. you know, shooting all the big rock bands that came, and then doing the first snowboarding calendar with my friend Justin Hosnick, so I was shooting professional, like getting published. And I was like, I'm going to do photography because I don't want to swim, bike, and run for 10 more years. And that's not a long-term plan. So I moved to Boulder for a season and then ended up coming to L.A. But yeah, that was... And if someone, you know, looks up your pictures, I mean, you've shot, you know, a million different famous actors and musicians and covers and movie campaigns and on and on. And then, you know... A few years back, many now, I would drive around in Malibu and there'd be a photo, a poster on the side of the road of like a shark, like this beautiful, beautifully lit shark poster size, like randomly showing up. How does somebody who has a family is in the system, because you say like in the in the poem, you know, seeking praise. Because I think in in almost every person's time in their life, but I, I saw this even with Laird. When Laird got good job from the industry, he had good job, Laird chilled out. And you th- you don't think that's going to impact you, and you think, I'm just doing what I do, and I don't care. But you had, by then, a ton of people and success saying, hey, good job, Mueller. Meaning, like, you know, you you had done it, and you were working, and you were very successful, how do you then get into, you know, working with working with sharks and and starting that part of the journey? <clears throat> yeah, it's like that. That good job, that good job. I like. I I seek that my entire life. It was never enough either. You know, you can't get enough of that out of boys. You know, from people. Um, and that's a big void to fill if you're trying to fill it with a career from, you know, outside stuff because it's a monstrous hole that you can't ever fill. Um, and it's exhausting trying to trying to fulfill that with, with, you know, with work, which I did for so many years. Like, hey, look at me. I'm, you know, I'm good enough. I'm lovable, right? Mm-hmm. I'm lovable. Won't you love me? Look at what it... Yeah. And that's what that was for... Uh, so much of it was that. And I didn't hear the, the good job or good boy, you know, People would say that. I mean, it, for so long, I mean, it took it took what it took to get me to the place where I didn't need to get that or don't need that anymore. But um, to chill out, you know, uh, in the 
the animal stuff and the, I've always sort of had personal projects where I didn't want a client and I didn't want anyone telling me what to do. I just want to shoot. I want to create on my own terms for what I want. Um, and you know, the animal stuff, uh, came about, you know, due to really due to the fear of, you know, being a surfer and being out here in these waters and mm-hmm. having this, this belief that a shark was going to kill me every time I was sitting on my board, really. Uh, and I was like, all right, I want to go see one of these and photograph it not knowing where that journey was going to end up taking me, but, uh, you know, and took those steps towards my wife, who you brought up a few times, Kimberly, heard me talking about the sharks and was like, my birthday was right around the time I was, you know, figuring out, and she got me a card, good for one shark trip, you know, and she would got me car racing and other things. I never collected that when I went down the next day, signed up, and went out into Guadalupe and saw the Great Whites. And, and who, t- who took you? I went on a boat, charter boat, like the one and only time with a bunch of, tur- you know, 16 other people I didn't know. Wow. Um, and went out and, um, you know, was in the cage, the first one in the cage, six in the morning, the sharks went by me, we locked eyes, and my life changed and set me on a different, whole different course. Um, and, uh, you know, nine months later, I was in the Galapagos shooting an IWC watch campaign and mm-hmm. went down there really naive and, you know, found out what was happening to our planet and had kids at that time. And, and that was when I was like, okay, I'm going to... This is my project. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. So, you know, you you were kind enough to take our, our one one of our daughters really wanted to be go diving with sharks and I think Laird has a very intense reverence for sharks. I think it was it's probably a different expression than you had prior to this relationship that you have with sharks now. I think um when I say reverence, sharks aren't going to keep Laird out of the water. When Laird's in the water, he's not like, a shark's going to eat me. Right. But if he has a shark vibe, he'll get shark vibes. He'll get out of the water. You know, you've yeah. had your own experience where you're in the water and you can feel there's a vibration. Oh, yeah, I have the shark vibe. You know, mm-hmm. especially, and like you said, and I'd love for you to share the difference. When you're on top of the water, it is so incredibly different than when you're underneath and looking at them and and so you you took uh, Laird and Reese, and something that Laird said that was really interesting was that, first of all, you could see that each shark had a different personality mm-hmm. when you were under. Mm-hmm. Some were more shy. Some seemed a little more kind of rambunctious. Mm-hmm. Some were, you know, curious. But, you know, just the difference. And that also the eyeball. Yeah. That when they're not coming out of the water or, you know, biting something and then putting a protective sheet over the eye... He's like, you can see the eyeball. Mm-hmm. You can see the spirit of the animal. Yeah. So when you say you locked eyeballs, yeah. maybe you can... Because we... I was just even talking to someone about this, about experiencing that with a whale. And we we sort of can understand that with whales and dolphins, them looking at us and us looking at them. But maybe we don't have that understanding with an animal that we think is so prehistoric and cold like a shark. Yeah. Well, even with a whale, I got to say, you have an idea of what it's like. And I can tell you from personal experience, I've been, this is something like the closest to God I've ever been. I had a whale, 70 foot pregnant whale shark, slow down long enough for me to put my hand on its temple and look into its eye, which is about the size of your head. So an eyeball on, on, a, on a whale shark is like this big and look into that, you know, dinosaur's eyeball this close. And that was just like, oof. I'll never forget that moment. But, yeah, so, you know, these great whites, when we see photographs of them or we see them on TV, they have those black soulless eyes. That, you know, we, 
it was a couple of things. Two, one is um, sensors on camera, like you couldn't see that detail. Um, so just until recently, you know, the cameras have gotten good enough in low light. But when when you're in the water and they swim by, yeah, they have irises. It's like a human. So when when I locked eyes, I was like, oh, you're not this soulless killing machine with black. You're not a monster. You're actually a, you're an, an animal. You know, you have that spiritual connection. Like we locked mm-hmm. eyes. I was like, oh, I see you and you see me and. You know, and I want to get out of this cage and swim with you is what I really was going through my mind and body. But I was like, no, you're still this evolution, perfection of evolution. You know, sharks, great whites, especially they've been around for millions of years and they're such beautiful machines. Yeah, it's done right. Yeah, built to do one thing and one thing right, right? So when you when you go into the cage for the first time and you're – I always think it's – I always love when people uh, face their fear. Um, Kristen Omer talks about – like if you have a kid and they go like, oh, that scares me, that we're not really supposed to be say, oh, oh, don't be scared. You're, it's, well, are you in the mood to be scared today? Not never be scared, not always want to be scared, but okay, you're right. It is scary. We're, you're going to go in that tank or you're going to go in that cage right. and be with around these animals. It is scary. Right. Are you in the mood? And so obviously you, you signed up, you were wanting to, I, and I guess what I'm, I'm getting at is that you, your willingness to look at yourself and also your willingness to attack your fears, these are, this is the same trait, just yeah. showing up in a different way. When you're going to get into the cage, how do you do it? How do you, because so many people would be like, I would like to try these kinds of things right. or have something in my life that I really want to face. I just, I don't, I can't. Right. Well, you can't. You can, but they're choosing not to. Yes. I, I like that. Don't be scared. You know, you have an opportunity. I mean, I can, it's like in my head, like how many times have I said, oh, don't be scared. You know, don't be, don't yeah. be telling It's like, them, no, it's scary. I, yeah, validating someone's, you know, especially kids, their fear or their, you know, like it's really, it's scary to them, you know. Yeah. Lightning, don't be scared of lightning. Yeah. <laughs> like what they are. They're terrified. You know, to get in the cage to me is like, I don't know what you need to know except like why you need to be talked into getting into steel cage that are that you know i mean like you're you're the one in the cage not the sharks in the cage you're in the cage yeah. uh, and you're very well protected it was getting out of the cage for me which was the big game changer you know opening up that steel door yeah. and then closing it and going out that was like okay taking that step and there's no turning back um, but that's know. a process. Yes. So for anyone listening, you don't just uh, go on a you know go on a shark dive and then come out. You there's a there's sort of a, there is a training about how to respond, how to yeah. be. This is not an overnight thing. You went from inside the cage to outside the no. cage. Decades. We're talking, th- and there isn't, and there's very few of us that do this. There is no training for swimming with great whites, free free swimming with great whites, and there's very few people on the planet that do it. I'm in the perfect mood to do this ad today because I just came from prepping dinner and I had a moment where it was like, okay, prep dinner, get it done on time or do something outside. And then I'm coming in and talking about Sakara. I've talked a lot about them. They're a nutrition company. They do focus on overall wellness. However, like everyone, they believe it starts with what you eat and incredibly, they make that really easy. So I I know a lot of us, we're trying to get a little more plant-based nutrition into our daily lives. Maybe, you know, we're trying to figure out how do I do that? What tastes good? Maybe, you know, the days are getting longer. Things are starting to open up. Well, Sakara is there for you. They have, 
you know, you don't have to suffer through anything. Their menus are creative. They're chef crafted, ready to eat breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. It changes weekly, so you won't get bored. I know I'm bored of my own cooking. And they will deliver this. Not only do they have a great offer for you today, but they will deliver this fresh to your door anywhere in the US. They have a lot of other incredible products too, as if you get going and you wanna support your health in other ways. So besides their delicious plant-based meals, they're offering daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas. So you can support your nutrition um, and experience the transformative nutrition of plants with their best-selling metabolism super powder. It's made with cacao, so it boosts your energy. It can eliminate bloating and a big one, minimize your sugar cravings. I'm always trying to figure out how do I get the sugar out of my diet and especially wanting it. So right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash Gabby Reese, or just enter the code Gabby Reese, one word at checkout. That's Gabby Reese, G-A-B-B-Y-R-E-E-C-E. And again, you can get your 20% off your first order at Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com. Okay, so let's let's back up. Yeah. You... You go in into the cage. Yep. You think, oh, okay, you're triggered, and to know more, to be closer. Right. And so, what is the quest in which you say, how do I get educated? Because again, this is like um, writing the rules as you go. Right. So, how do you start to acquire the right information to put yourself in the position to be there with them? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a combination, you know, only in retrospect can you look back and see all the dots that connected. You know, mm-hmm. I was shooting um, a Speedo campaign for nine years with Michael Phelps, and, you know, we got the Olympics happening right now, and it's a whole, finally, a whole new slew of, like, swimmers, because for, for a long time it was Phelps and Natalie Coughlin, all these, these swimmers that I actually photographed for the bulk of their career. So I was shooting Speedo, which meant I was underwater a lot, and I was doing all their athletes, not just their swimmers, their entire campaign. I have this, you know, I want to photograph a shark and, <clears throat> you know, I'm doing, um, you know, this commercial work, the movie posters and what have you. And I was sort of like, I want to light a shark as well as Phelps and them with lights, strobe lights underwater. Like I want to bring a studio underwater. And when I went and looked, the, you, these lights didn't exist. So I had to make them, which was a whole, that's a whole other conversation. But I ended up creating with some guys and, and have five, four or five patents on the most powerful underwater strobe lights in the world. So all this was sort of going on. You know, I went on the trip to Guadalupe. I see the great whites. My life changes. Like I said, I, I locked eyes. I came back to Los Angeles. The president of this watch company, they bring them over to my house. I was putting their watches on actors because they were the first green watch. I just liked what they were about, which yeah. really environmentally conscious brand. And um, he saw my shark pictures. I told him about these lights I'm making. And he gave me their Aqua Timer campaign, which is like their big, huge, you know, they only do it four, every four years they do this campaign. And all of his employees like looked at him like he was crazy. And I'm this Hollywood portrait for, you know, I'm not Nat Geo underwater, you know, photographer guy. And so... I went on that trip. Isn't it funny that how the thing you can be good at can work against you? Yeah. Well, like, yeah, Hollywood photographer guy. Well, I love people are very, they, they don't have the imagination. Well, it's like, I'm you know, I'm saying. dealing with the fashion industry right now. Well, you can't shoot fashion. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. God. Let's not even go there. But um, yeah. so I went down there, but I went down there really naive as to what was happening to our planet. And, you know, I went from 
being inside of a cage with great whites to no cage, you know, being with sharks, hammerheads, Galapagos sharks, like, so really quick, no learning curve as far as, you know, went from being in a cage to in the Galapagos, which... Who's with you? Who is somebody with you? I'm with this guy, Greg Waugh, who's leading the expedition, mm-hmm. 10 years with Cousteau. This yeah. guy's done every dive there, you know, and this is the best dive spot in the world. And he literally, I was with him in a cafe in Paris. I'm like, okay, of all the dives, you know, Russia with vodka in the line so they wouldn't freeze up. Like, this guy's done it all. And he's like, where are we going? I'm like, come on, you're just saying that. He's like, no, I'm telling you, man, this is the best dive you're ever going to do. And, and, it, and it really is and was some of the best diving I've ever done. But, you know, I remember being out of a cage with like a hammerhead and a Galapagos shark circling me. And then I look and then there's seven of them and then there's 12 of them and my heart rate starts going up and my, you know, my nerve because that belief system that they're all going to eat me kicks in and I pretty much jumped out of the water and got in the boat pretty quick. Yeah. And then, you know, worked my way, you know, up to, I remember swimming into 300 hammerhead and they all broke off and turned away. Like 300 sharks simultaneously like swam away from me. Which is the case with, with sharks, with the exception of great whites. They're more scared of us than we are of them. But When you say with the exception of great whites, is, is the great white just more curious? What is it that you think is different? It's, it's, a, it's a killing machine. That's what, you know, it's designed to eat, and they're not scared of us. So they just want to know if you're food, basically. Is that more They a- do, and there's, you know, there's really only one way to not be prey with them in the water. You know, because everything in the ocean swims away from a great white. Right. And if you see a great white coming at you and you start to try to get away from it, you're, you're in big trouble. That means you have to sort of stand your own mm-hmm. with a SUV with teeth, big, you know, two and a half tons of muscle coming at you, which is, a, which is an experience. And, and um, it's one that's it's hard to even put into words. But, um, but you know, on that trip, I, I remember I was up, you'll appreciate this, I was up at you know, up on the roof at night and there was all the stars out and I was thinking about life and what I'd learned down there that, you know, we were killing 100 million sharks every year, which I didn't know. 100 million. And wait, there's five deaths a year? Yeah, what is five it? people. Five a year. Around the world. Yeah. yeah. And how many trillions of people are in the water every year? You do the math. I mean, yeah, obviously it's, there's it's, not trillions on the planet, but no, in but and out. Yeah, in and out on right. a yearly basis. So we kill 100 million. million. Yeah. And they get five of us. And, and we, we have And five. when we get those, when they get those five of us, we put it on the news and we... Oh, yeah. Well, we, we keep really... that, that narrative going. Well, and also, you know, it's a little bit like crocodiles and alligators. When these animals that are prehistoric, they are. I think they tap into some primal core of who we are that it's like, oh, I get the system here and I get your place on the ladder as far as the power. And like you said, the perfect design... So I think it's right, the fear and the reverence, but 100 million. Right. I think what it is is that we think we, think we own, like we're in control of yeah, everything. We're the power. We are the numero uno, yeah. and great whites put us in our place. Sharks put us in our place because we realize we have no con- they are above us. When you get in the ocean, they own it. We yeah. don't own it, and that's hard for us humans to swallow. So what do we do? Yeah, we have to kill or dominate We have to demonize these animals so that yeah. we can you know, feel good Justify. about it. Justify. Yeah. What is it, 3% of the ocean has been explored? Yeah, more. we know more about outer space than we do our own planet, right. which is pretty wild, too. This race to space, and it's like, what's down there? You know. Um, okay, so you have your first dive. What yeah. kind, well, do you have special rig with you, equipment, or are you yeah, jerry-rigging well, it? No, no, I have brought down all these lights. I go to the Galapagos, and you know, I'm shooting them with these sharks out of the cage. I find out we're killing 100 million. I find out half the Great Barrier Reef is dead. 
you know, the plastic problem, everything. And I was up on the roof and their stars were out. And I said, I don't think my daughters are going to see some of this in 10 years. Like, I really was like, mm-hmm. we're in trouble. And I had just seen, you know, I was saying about <coughs> connecting the dots, this exhibit called Ashes and Snow, Greg mm. Colbert. I don't know if, did you see that Absolutely. in Santa Monica? Yeah. Well, that show really had an impact on me because I was like, okay, this guy spent a decade on this. Like, this is what he worked on. I am not doing a gallery show until I put in that type of work. Like, that really had an impact on me and my art sort of portion of my career. So Sharks was going to be that. Like, like uh, all right, I'm going to do, that's, this is going to be my ashes and snow. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in the Galapagos, and I said, you know, I think my daughter, so that was that set me on the course to come back and start chartering boats and bringing out these lights and bringing out my guys and shooting sharks <laughs> in a way that had never been photographed before. You go on this dive. Mm-hmm. You don't know where it's taking you. You have this understanding. Because I think that a lot. I think, oh, man, my kids are not going to get to enjoy this world <clears throat> the way we have. But you're, so you're working your day job, if you will, because mm-hmm. that pays the bills. You have a family. How do you find the extra bandwidth? You're already busy as it is, and now you and and to look at it realistically, to go, hey, this is going to take several years to layer in this body of work, to understand my subject matter, to shoot them correctly, to even have the opportunity. Where do you get the? Is it the inspiration that gives you the extra lane to do it? And then also, what's the conversation with your partner? Because it's you know, listen. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's expensive. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, you know, it was, yeah, my day job, you know, shooting Marvel, the Marvel movies and everything was sort of financing my passion project, which, you know, I could have a much bigger home right now and I could have a couple more cars and all that material stuff that we spend that money on. You know, I I chose to, to do on this. I had an amazing partner, you know, Kimberly, uh, has been supportive since day one. You know, she is, she has warped beliefs too. It's like, you're fine. It's okay. You can swim with great white trash, no motorcycles. Like, I'm not allowed to ride on a motorcycle, but I That's can swim genius, though. out of the cage with great white sharks. You do the math. I mean, I don't, yeah. Was she ever, but did she ever <laughs> say, hey, this is sort of an interesting turn? I mean, now that we have children, now you're going to be out in the open ocean swimming with great whites? Or does she just think, okay, I trust Michael, I know him, and okay. Yeah, I think it was more the latter. And she also, I think, intuitively knew that she wasn't going to stop me and, and why try and be supportive. Um, and I have that. I mean, it's like my assistants, you know, they weren't certified. Like, I just was like, okay, jump in. You know, it's sort of like jump in with me. You know, it's just like when you go into war, right? You know, if your sergeant or whatever goes up, like runs first in, right? You know, yeah. it's like these great leaders in battle were the ones that led. You know, the big kings were the ones, the first one on the horse, you know, going into battle, not sending their troops off to be slaughtered, but leading their men in. And those are the men that will lay down their lives. And, and, you know, those are usually the the ones that won the battle. That's why we know about them. Yeah. They don't write stories about the losers. So you go from that first dive, and then do you start mapping out? Like, do you only want to shoot great whites? Like, what's what's your, do you have a theme, or is it just sharks? I mean, it was it was just sharks, and it it you know grew. I had a goal that I wanted to do a Tashin book. That was mm. always a you know a, a, a big desire of mine. Well, uh, all their books are just so beautiful, right? And, you know, so that was a that was a goal. And on that trip in the Galapagos, I was like, oh, the limited edition is going to come in a cage. So, like from day one, I, I sort of had it 
visualized. And I'm a big believer in sort of visualizing what you want to do or to what you want to create, and then you go and take the steps to doing it. But you, mm-hmm. if you don't see it, you don't know what you're wanting to create or build. So, you know, people talk about dream boards and stuff like that. But to me, it's very important. I need to see it, and then I go manifest it. Um, you know, there's so many layers to this because it's like I started out on this trip, you know, to, you know, to this expedition to shoot sharks and raise awareness and raise money. Um, and to do something that never been done before, that's always a big thing for me too. It's like shoot these animals in a way they've never seen before, uh, show people our planet. Um, and then, you know, there's this parallel journey that's happening because I'm dealing with my own, you know, PTSD and, and trauma and, and addiction and all these other things. And these sharks were such a great metaphor and, and, and such a, um, you know, a, a big T impact imprint on my body and on my energy and on my, you know, facing death, but not dying you know and, mm-hmm. and those type of things so it was like to look back and see the the journey because I was like you know people would ask me for years I didn't know why I was necessarily doing it what, what drew me to it so much and I couldn't people would say you're an adrenaline junkie it came up so many times I'm sure your husband's heard it like yes. why do you serve 100 foot waves you know for the adrenaline rush and it's like no because when you're there I mean I think there is a little bit of adrenaline rush but it's not you're in the zone you're in this flow you're in this place where it's not adrenaline it's really present yeah. And that's, you know, it hit me, you know, I don't know, six years ago or something. I was out of the cage and people had been asking me that. And it was like, oh my God, this is why I do it because I'm really in the moment. Like, I'm not in my head onto the next job or into, you know, how am I paying the rent? You know, it was like right here, right now. Yeah. You have to be. And so I was like, I want this on land. You know, I want to, I don't want to have to swim with sharks to get this. Right. <laughs> well, it, it, I think I, from what I have seen partnering, with someone who's like that, it's, it makes sense. You know, I think for certain people in a way, it's almost like, um, they get in these situations where, oh, this makes sense, where the world that we live in is confusing, right? Like, why is that person mad at me? They don't Mm -hmm. even know me or, you know, whatever the things are that are are going on here. And so Stephen said that he interviewed Laird years ago and Laird said, um, the thing about flow is it is, and you are, and mm-hmm. Stephen's like, yeah, okay, I don't know what that means. But he said what he found out was that scientifically also that flow state is the only thing in life that's always the same. When you're in it, it's the same. And so everything else in life is different. Everything is changing. And with flow, it's always the same. And so I thought that that was maybe an interesting thing when when uh, maybe, and, and I don't know, I, I, I feel like it's, when people are seeking a North star or something that seems fair or honest or predictable, which is, could even be with that, you know, it's unpredictable that, um, they're seeking those moments that are all encompassing. Like when you go there, you're, you're not, you have to be completely present and everything else kind of fades away. Yeah. hundred percent. Like when you, when you said that quote that your husband said, I got it right away. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, like I, I totally got what he was saying. And I think you have to experience, you have to be in that sort of flow or I've had been there to understand it. And it makes, you know what I mean? That it makes total sense. And it is always there. It's just, we have this thing called our brain plus our egoism, whatever you X, there's yeah. a lot of names for it. We have all we have the committee going on that yeah. keeps us from being in that state. Right on a, on a daily basis, which 
when I said I want this experience, I don't want to have to swim with sharks to get it. Uh, and, and, and there is a way of obtaining it, you know, and it's mindfulness, it's work, it's, you know, it's a different type of work. But I've, you know, gotten uh, to that place and maybe even better sometimes with my meditations and, and, and alternative ways of getting to that flow state. Let, let's talk about that a little because you have, devel- you know, you sort of have incorporated some practices. Well, first, what do you think the, some of the things, the number one things you were trying to unwind when, you know, PTSD and things like that, what were the things that you needed to unwind or have continued to work on unwinding to get liberated from? You know, and it's, you know, what's crazy is I just recently, someone, I mean, people have tried to explain this to me, but never in the way he did, but maybe just a couple months back, uh, of all people, Tony Robbins, you ever met oh, yeah. Tony? I, yeah, no, I have never met him, but of course I know who he okay. is. <laughs> yeah, same here. Did and he I, scare you into the truth or something? No, I actually cold called him. Like Seriously? From, yeah, dead serious. And he spent a lot of time with me. Wait, why him? Because his name kept coming up. Okay. Kept coming the universe up. was the telling me. The universe you? was telling okay. me, and I asked a doctor friend of mine who is friends with him yeah. or something, like, we give me Tony's number, because <laughs> this is what I do. And I straight cold called Tony. I was like, hey, my name is Michael Walter. And he called me back. And he was like, yeah, well, I got to. Uh, and then, and then, you know, just one thing after, I, you know, and I said, listen, you know, I'm, you know, I've got, a, I'm a, I'm a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> I wouldn't know where to begin. Um, and, um, and you need new photos. And um, I think he appreciated that because I looked at some photos online. I was like, man, you're Tony Robbins, man. You need to have this, and you're down. I think he appreciated that. So we, we became pretty close pals, and I couldn't believe he was giving me so much for fun and for free. Like, he, you know, I know what the guy makes, and I, I don't yeah. know what he makes. I imagine what he charges, and people spend what they spend to go to his things, and here's this guy giving me these things. But he, he, he spent an hour and a half. He had a 12-day-year-old baby at home baby that's 12 days old and he spends an hour and a half with me on the phone and it breaks Percy breaks me down because I had to re-listen to it which is where you know I recently had the I've seen been doing some hypnotherapy and from my just my my paperwork that he filled out he was like you talk too much you need to listen more than you talk I was like oh my god and then I listened to me and Tony and I'm like um shut up listen um but Tony's the one main thing that he said, and I think we have a lot of similarities, actually, you know, his upbringing in mind was that you, you know, you've been looking for love your entire life. Love. You just want to connect. You want to love and be loved. You want to adore and be adored. You know, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's so true. That's all I've been looking for. That's it. Do you, do you think, and again, I, I can only speak for my experience, like, that your parents, do you know today that your parents love loved you 100% but that it was in a language you couldn't hear or receive 100% 100% no they loved me with with all the you know with all their being yeah and loved me with the tools that they had at their disposal you know but and that's where it gets to Tony then said and I I re-listened to it and I was like oh my god whoa it was like the keys to the kingdom because I have done a lot of work mm-hmm. in the last 20 years a lot of work and I looked at this, and I'm like, I can do another 20 years of work. And if I don't change these, it's all for naught. And what it was was the negative core beliefs that I have about myself. 
that, Michael, if you love or if you open yourself up, you're going to get abandoned and hurt. You know, uh, that you're not good enough. Like, I made a list of my core negative beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, and he gave me a system on how to sort of deal with these and write down the bullshit and then, you know, get it out with all your physical, like, bring in physicality to it. But, you know, the truth of, like, that, we'll take that first statement, you know, that I need to get your love, my wife's love, my mom's love, you know, I need to get this love that I'm, like, hey, look at me, remember, attaboy? Yeah. Uh Uh-uh, the truth is, I need to give love. Love needs to come from Michael. I get it from the universe, from God, whatever you want to call it. And then I have it to give because I cannot get love from any of you. You get love by giving love. And if I'm just constantly giving, I'm looking to get love from you or anyone else, you can't, you can't abandon me. You can't hurt me. Right. The only way to do that is if you're looking to get it and you can't get it, you got to give it. And that to me was like so profound. I was like, ah. So that self-love that you hear about, you know, people talk about oh you need to you know have self-love it really is true you, you need to start michael needs to start with michael loving michael and constantly giving it yeah. well it's interesting because uh, i've i used to think when i was a younger female um i used to think i'm really interested in finding someone to be excited about loving i i i seldom actually thought about finding someone to love me because I, I don't know what it was. Because I, 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 I think there was something about that that made me think that that would make me be my best self. Mm-hmm. That any time I was in a dynamic where the person loved me, but I wasn't really as excited about them, I didn't operate in my best side. And therefore, I didn't kind of like myself right. as much as when I was with somebody that I was really excited about and I was bringing my best self to the table. Then all of a sudden, I felt more proud of myself too. Mm-hmm. Like there's something interesting about when you give love even if somebody shuns it, or let's say it's even to one of your kids, and they're like, "Get away from me! You're annoying," mm. or whatever they do, you're like, "It's okay," because I'm showing up, I'm giving love, right. I'm here, and it's an interesting thing because it's counterintuitive because it's so scary. Yeah, it's it's so scary. So let's go. Let's go it's back. Like giving money away. You're know, doing it because you think that you it's yours. Oh, I'm holding it. It's mine. And it's like, it's not. No. It's here to flow through. Talk about flow. Yeah. Once you embrace that flow state with your financial, you're not controlled by money anymore. And all of a sudden, more keeps coming in because you're letting it flow out. Yeah. It's a universal law. Give and it comes in tenfold. Like, it really is so true. I think growing up with certain beliefs, though, whether they talk about scarcity mentality or abundance and what, those are very difficult things because they show up and they creep up in very interesting ways. And um, I talked to one time to somebody who's like a money manager and they said, oh, but also, for example, like, let's say something gives you great pleasure. You can't, you wouldn't say, well, normally I wouldn't spend that much money on that, but it gives me so much pleasure that um, it's actually worth it you know it's like trying to undo some of those beliefs that you have when you're young it's really hard and it's interesting where it shows up he he said to me he said for him it was being able to go to the restaurant and order the appetite because they they grew up broke the appetizer and the meal right right? and dessert right then it was like you're going crazy right so i think it's a it's a great way to to look at things because I think it shows up in love and in money, big time, both places. It shows up in religion. It shows up in everything. Yes. It's once again, you said beliefs. It's a belief in, yeah. in like sharks. There's another great analogy, you know, for me because I faced a belief that was so real in my head that this was Jaws. It was going to kill me. Yeah. Faced it. The belief changed. My life changed. And all these other doors opened. Like, you know, my whole world changed because of that, facing that one belief. 
So I'm like, wait, if I can do it with sharks, I can do it with anything. And, you know, when you start changing, you know, it's like our brain's a computer. It really is. You want to run on MS-DOS 9.0 or you want to be on the, you know, brand new 15, you know, state-of-the-art or, or, you know, our we can write, you know, tomorrow's the empty chapter of your life. There's so many ways of, you know, re, you know, tomorrow, today's the first day of the rest of your life. All of those, those silly statements, right? Yeah. But they're so true. But it does take work. You can't just think a new belief. You know what I mean? You can't just be like, well, no, I don't believe that anymore. I'm not. I'm going to be, I, I have abundance and forever. No, yeah. it, I mean, it takes pen to paper and it takes work and mantras and work, work, you know, whatever yeah. you want to call it. It takes effort. Yeah. And, you know, we live in a society where we want everything now and we want it quick and we don't want to do the effort. But we want the rewards. I want the benefits. Like, how many people read these books that say, okay, here's five practices. And did you do the practice? No, but, you know, I read. Yeah. I know what they are. I, I know what they are. And osmosis, like, no, yeah. it, it takes work. But when you do the work and you get the rewards in your life, you, you know, it's, it's amazing and it's the best work, the most rewarding work I've done in my life. I mean, forget the photos, like... When it comes time, you know, if I'm if I'm on my deathbed or if I have time to reflect, I'm not going to be like, oh, let me think about the movie posters or the Nike ad I shot or whatever. I'm going to be like, did you evolve? Like, if you, when you go, like, I don't want to. I want them to be like, at a boy, you got to yeah. go into the next the next world. Yeah, you've moved you don't on have from to this. come back to do this again because yeah. you, you know, you dealt with your female issues and your this issues and your that issues. I think what you're saying though is important. Uh, you know, one of the, a, a golden rule definitely for life, which is we can have all the information, but if we don't have a practice in place, it doesn't mean a perfect practice. It, it just means a real practice that you're, that you are incorporating each day. That's in everything that's in brushing your teeth to a kindness practice, to a physical fitness practice, to all of those things. So I think that that is a very, you know, that's a very big, uh, kind of one of the rules, the golden rules of life is we, I think most of us have a lot of the information. We just haven't figured out or haven't dedicated ourselves to the practice. So you, so you start to aggressively parallel path, both things. You're doing your passion, you know, art project for the shark book, sharks, and you're working and you're being a dad and you're being a husband. Mm -hmm. So did you have any, um, Anything that really revolutionized for you the shooting um, in during that time, be it the light or the cameras you were able to use um, for your book project, or were you was there anything that really also made any of that easier, or or did you figure like I guess what I'm saying is through that process you had to learn some secrets and tricks to make it all better for you, and you know through mistakes or being like oh this could be better. How did you guys work that out? Because you're on the fly. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're you're listening to things like being a dad and doing your commercial work and then doing book and then you know I would I would go to a city and and do the shoot all day, twelve hour day, and then I'd go back to the hotel and grab those shark posters and go out at night and put shark posters. You know what I mean? Like when my assistants were going to sleep or whatever. That's I guess the difference between me and someone else is that I'm willing to then go that extra mile to get it done because I'm like I'm not going to be here again and. And I'm in Stockholm, and I'm going to put some great whites up around that smiling big shark poster. With that light. <laughs> Where did I learn? You know, I learned by, like, I've been working on this horse project for the last eight years. I didn't know anything about horses. I learn as I go. Like, I show up, and life is, you know, sort of, that's how I've approached everything. My photography, 
virtual reality, mm-hmm. you know, all of it is show up and let people that are smarter than me teach me that have done the path. So I learn from mentors, be open-minded, be childlike, because there's always something new to learn, you know, embrace the unexpected, you know, that's when you want to talk about that sort of flow state. Mm-hmm. That's really about being present for whatever is coming, good, bad, and different. You know, we like to label things good and bad, this and that. And it's like, no, just be present for life. Um, because it's going to be exciting however you want to label it, if you're in that place, right? You know, if you're closed-minded and you're just like, oh, i gotta, got to do it because I'm going to lose my job. Or what, you know, it's like, what type of existence is that? Yeah. I don't know. I mean... So maybe share any... I'm sure you have so many, but an experience maybe where you're in the moment and there's a great white and maybe this great white's a little more curious or a little more... Um, interested in you than you've experienced and I don't care you know who it is it's I mean that's I would imagine beyond terrifying and you're there and you know okay I have to face off that's what I have to do Mm -hmm. tell me tell me about that experience there's there's only one really honestly and there's one in does a shark 64. have a name? Yeah, yeah. No, well, it probably does, but I don't remember. Like, all the sharks at Guadalupe have names because <clears> the <throat> uh, great whites have markings on them. They're like fingerprints. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and in all, whatever, 60-some-odd expeditions I've spent, you know, thousands of hours underwater, there's really only one time that I can think of where I was like, this, this guy's... And so that was this trip... Uh, it was Clara's first dive trip. So Clara, my daughter, my oldest, is 10 years old. She's in the cage. Um, uh, we're down at a 30-foot. It was during an El Nino year, so the water was so warm that the sharks weren't coming up to the surface. They were coming up, like, we were bringing them up to the 30-foot cage, so 30 feet beneath the boat. <clears throat> and I've got a, a bunch of sort of influencer friends and uh, on this boat trip that have taken an 18-hour boat ride out and at this point haven't really seen sharks because they've only down at 30 foot. So I've got Clara, and I've got her little buddy from school. Did you, what's that conversation <laughs> you know, like with those parents? Do you know Kelly Wurstler and Brad? Oh, yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah, so sure. <laughs> yeah. Their son, yeah. Clara, Sean White's dad up on top of the oh. cage with a GoPro, yeah. and me and Brock and Mornay are out. And we got this male shark, this boy who's like 15 foot, like your husband, they all have different personalities. Yeah. The boys are the, usually the friskier, the younger yeah, the boys are like, yeah, yeah, totally pumped with testosterone. Yeah. So we've got this boy that came up and, you know, Mornay rid it on the door, like, you know, he's riding it and it's circling us, right? And I've got my daughter, this is my first time my daughter's come down the cage. And I said to her, I wasn't going to bring her down when I was going out of the cage. Cause yeah. I She's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, no matter what you see. Once again, I'm projecting onto her. <laughs> no matter what you see, don't get scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared, sweetie. Yeah. Don't be. Remember earlier? Yeah. When Gabby said, don't be. So that, this is one of those moments. I'm like, don't be scared. Even if you see a 15-foot green white that's about to eat your dad's head off. So this, this boy shark comes around. And we have this all on, on his dad's GoPro. I filmed it all. And the shark's coming by. And it's like where you are, and it turns right at me. So here I am, and, I, and you see this all. And I lower my camera, and my eye to eye like this. And, and Mornay told me after when we got, Mornay's like my mentor, and he's the shark guy, the guru, the, you know. I guess I moved my head like this much for it. I leaned into it, which challenged the shark. 
So the shark's coming at me, but it looks like it's going off to the side, right? Like it's going to go by me. Mm-hmm. And right when it gets here, Clara's 10 feet behind me in the cage watching all this. The head goes like this. And right when the head just starts doing it, you see me go and give it a little tap by its gills. And the thing just takes off down to the deep, like just is gone. Because one thing, they don't get touched. Nothing goes up and touches a great white. So the minute you touch a great white, it's like, ah! Yeah. And the gills, why? Sensitive? Well, because you've heard, I'm sure, and before, like, if a shark could hit it in the nose, right? Yeah, no. You've heard that, right? I've heard it, yeah. I never yeah, believed that. This is what happens after you hit it in the nose and... <laughs> the, the mouth comes. Yeah. So, no, right on the side of its, you know, on the face, and gave it a little love tap, and it was gone. And in retrospect, had I not done that, because it's illegal to be out of the cage, and we weren't permitted at this time, and yeah. a boat showed up, like, two minutes later with all the park rangers with the cameras out, and they got, caught us out of the cage without a shark... And the fine was a lot of money. Really? And had that shark been in there, it would have been crazy. Yeah, so that was the one time that was the one boy. And it's actually in my book. It's like the fourth photo. You yeah. see Clara in there, little Clara. <laughs> and this big shark head in Mornay's got nothing in his hands. And he's just doing this with the shark going by. Um, and, you know, it was, it, it, it was what it was. But that was like the only time that I've had a, you know, what's a shark the, sort what's, of aggressive at me. Well, he's being, he was... Yeah. Maybe an aggr- a shark yeah, being aggressive is like, hey, what's up? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, totally. Like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I, it was just like the only time I've ever had to like yeah. physically exert, you know, and 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 sort of. Besides the, the lessons of facing something that really made you afraid, and by the way, when you go surfing now, do you still think about sharks below, or what's the what's the reframe for you? Well, I have the I have the the mojo, the juju, like you said, your husband, like the the vibes. I'll be out yeah. here and it's cold or whatever, and I feel it, like I feel the sharks. I'm is, like, is it time to go mm. in? Like, no, I mean, no, I mean it, that's an option. Yeah, but I don't go in. What I do is I I do the odds, and I'm like, okay, Michael, you are more likely to win the super lotto twice right. than whatever you're feeling right now acting on you, and it's not going to come and bite you because you're the you know. So that's what I usually do, and it goes away because it really is the 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 statistics are like yeah. you're more likely to win the super lottery twice, not once, yeah. twice. So I'm like, yeah, but it is when you're on the surface, it's a vulnerable place. Like when I'm under, I can see if I have a mask on and you have good visibility, you know, you you have an opportunity to do something about it. And when you're on the surface, they're ambush predators. Right? I was going to say, so sometimes when you're shooting, if you're a little bit lower, it's actually. A, not, I don't want to say the word safer. I don't want to use the wrong word. But it's it's a better possibly place to be than being when you're up at the surface because of this, right? Well, when you're up on the surface, first of all, I mean, like if you're a surfer, you've seen, I'm sure, on yeah. the TV where they look like it looks yeah. like a seal and seal. what have you. But yeah. when you're on the surface, if your head's on above the water, you can't see what's coming. And by the time you ever did see it, it's too late. They're yeah. coming at 25 miles an hour. And they are ambush predators. So... Great whites, not tiger sharks, not bull sharks, just great whites because they have the girth, they have the speed. They uh, they knock their prey, you know, they, they hit it and sort of stun it, yeah. and then they come back and finish off. That's what they do with seals, and that's what they try to do with us. So when we're out of the cage, you know, we're like, our heads are on swivels. You'll see the, the video footage, and it's like this, because there's a, you know, 15-foot, 18-foot, whatever, shark right where your cupboards are. Yeah. I'm not. Once we have eye contact, that shark's not going to turn and come at me. Like really? Yeah. No. It's the, where our heads are like this because eventually I'm going to look down and then I'm going to see one coming at me and the tail's going and it's coming 25 miles an hour right up to me, and I have to turn head on. So the shark's coming up and then I turn head on and swim towards it, 
And the minute you start swimming towards it, the shark is so smart. Nothing swims towards it. It's like, I don't like you. That's something not natural yeah. for me. And it banks off and does a 180. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> doing that for the first time or being told to do that yeah. goes against everything. But you know what's so great about those moments is you know in a way the only choice you have is the choice. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you think, oh, I can get away. So you, I think what's so great about that, that's like those moments in life where you have no choice but to do the right thing because mm-hmm. there's so much pressure and it's like there's no other option. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible moment. Incredible moment. It's a, you know, it's a game I mean, there's only moment. one right choice. It makes, in, in those very, I mean, we have how many experiences like that in life? Two, right. three, one, who knows? But it's like, I, this goes against everything, and it's the only thing I can do. Right. And it overrides everything. Right. I mean, it's Well, then the astounding. payoff is, is it happening, working the yeah. way, you know, that I'm still here, and I've done it, you know, hundreds of times. And why, you always hear, though, that, okay, so bull shark, because they have a lot of testosterone, they say they're aggressive, hammerhead, tiger. Um, what are maybe just some of the traits? Because tigers, I mean, they're, they're a little bit aggressive, aren't they? Well, here's bull sharks and tiger sharks do the most damage around the world, mostly because bull sharks lay their, their young up in the river mouth, freshwater. They go up river, they lay, and then they come back down to the ocean. And where the ocean and the river meet, people are like wading in that water that's yeah. murky. And the shark's coming down and it just sort of, they, they test stuff. They test with their mouth. What is that? What is that? Yeah. Oh, it's a calf. And that one bite, you know, um, can do a lot of damage, obviously, yeah. as we've seen. Tiger sharks are. They're sort of like the pit bulls of the, like, they, they eat, you know, I mean, they eat tires, you find dry, license plates in their stomachs and tires and, you know, front dashes of cars. Like, they just eat everything. I mean, they, and they have hacksaw teeth, so they're the sharks that rip into turtle shells. They can cut a turtle shell in half. Um, and, you know, um, you know, like in Hawaii, there's a lot of tiger sharks, sure. you know, things. And, and, you know, they come up and they, you know, they see things. But when we're out trying to photograph tiger sharks, like at Tiger Beach, we have to literally put fish like breadcrumbs to come to us because they're really... They don't want to worry. Yeah, they don't want to... Once again, it's also if you're on the surface swimming and you're not yeah. present and the shark comes up, you know, then they're going to do it. When you're down, they see you that you're... It's just a different ball game. So, But yeah, they do the most damage, the, the bull sharks and the tiger sharks as far as oh, attacks, bites on, yeah. on people. Yeah, But for the most part, we're not on their menu. No. I mean, and you hear every scientist say it, every yeah. shark week when all the we're scientists are on the news. No, we're like skin and bone. Yeah. They want blubber. So besides facing your fear and, and having that opportunity, you know, what else, what, what are some of the really powerful things that you, that have made you different how have you come out of this process different? I mean, I, I think I've come out of it um, different, being more gentle with myself, um, you know what I mean, and being a little more forgiving and, and um, not being so hard on myself, not holding myself up to such, like, everything has to be, you know, right and go and um, being like, you know, and it's okay to have a bad day, you know what I mean? It's okay to feel like shit, and, um, you know, um, I know that that's been a big thing. That's sort of where I'm in right now is learning that and practicing that and being okay. Like, okay, oh, I'm feeling this and that's okay. Don't try to change it because, you know, I'm a big changer. I don't like the way I'm feeling. Let's change it. Let's, you know, I, you know. And, and I guess you would call you that just... escapism, right? Because right. you you're not wanting to deal with. 
So would you just let it pass through now, or what do you do? Well, you, you acknowledge it, first of all. You know, you got to be aware of it, um, you know, and, and being aware is that self-awareness of knowing, you know, what and what's triggering it, what's happening, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just hungry. <laughs> um, but that that's sort of a, that's one. I mean, you know, you and your husband's, you know, ice and heat thing was such a great pivotal thing in my life because... You know, I've had a lot of physical challenges um, yeah. uh, that I've, you know, dealt with, which are so tied to emotional stuff, which I've heard for years. You know, oh, back pain's tied to emotional. I'm like, yeah, right. You don't live with this. But once you start doing a lot of the emotional work, oh, it's amazing how much of that back pain gets relieved, you know. It's easy for me to talk about and want to share with you Laird Superfood and our products that we have because it's something that started in my kitchen with my husband, Laird Hamilton, about six years ago. It started with our organic coffees and creamers. They're vegan. We've got turmeric flavored, original unsweetened if you're trying to avoid sugars, cacao if you're like me and I want that chocolate. We've got Peruvian coffee. It's organic, high altitude, low acidic. But we've also expanded our line. We've got things like greens, hydrate products, and something I'm really excited about that's new a rest and renew product for those of you like me who have a hard time sleeping or we've got an immune boosting uh, product that you can just put in your water very easy to just take on the go all the ingredients you can read they make sense and we've got a great offer for you today all you have to do at checkout is punch in gabby g-a-b-b-y 2021 all one word and you'll save 20 percent at lairdsuperfood.com so there, there is a little, you know, knowing you, it's like, in a way you do, it seems like that has been something that you've put more on the back burner, which is like kind of really, really taking good care of yourself. It feels like in the f- last few years, you've done better about bringing that to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Did you just get in so much discomfort that you had no choice or did you finally go, you know what, I'm busy, I'm traveling, I'm on planes all the time, but I have to figure out this way to balance this out? Yeah. Because you're hard, I mean, you're pretty, you're really physically hard on yourself. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it takes, you know, getting older and hitting your 50s and, you know, I think, uh, like they say, sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, mm-hmm. and just, like, I can't live, like, this isn't sustainable. Um, and, you know, finding out stuff about myself, like, I, I'm i a weird, um, <laughs> you know, diagnosis because I have, like, bipolar 2 without the depression, which it's sort of hard to have bipolar 2 without the depression side, but I don't get those real deep depressions. Mm. But... I definitely have the mania. I remember calling Andrew Huberman, who you know, yeah. and is a dear friend of mine, knows me real. And I'm like, Andrew, because I did DSM-5 for the first time, which is sort of, you know, ADHD, all that sort of things. And I was like, no, no, no. <gasps> that, that's me. Runs out of 10. Always positive. And I'm like, and he's like, I was like you know, I run at 10 because, Michael, you don't run at a 10. You run at 11. Yeah. And I'm like, great, well, I want to go to a nine. But, you know, anyways, uh, and I tried the the medication route, and it was like, uh, when the mood stabilizer kicked in, that was like the worst two is it weeks like, of my life. Is it apathy or what happens there a lot of times? that You hear it, that, like, people just kind of get indifferent about everything or... What's that? With the mood stabilizers or what did it... Yeah, it, it was like you're not happy and not sad. You're just... Yeah. And then this, this <clears throat> fire that I have for life mm. turned into a big lighter. Yeah. Like I didn't have that. And I was like, no way. I'm not doing this. And I tried another form, another type of medication. And then I'm like, you know what? If I know now, it's like being aware. Like, oh, that's what this is. So I'm in a manic place right now. Yeah. Or I'm in, you know, I'm experiencing this. So you need to do some more work about, like, you know, grounding work or meditation or slow down. 
take better care of yourself, right. whatever it may be. And so, because I was like, I know that I can live with, I've lived with it for 50 years without medication. You know, now yeah. at least I can have some more tools to deal with it and know what it is. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and that's that self-discovery sort of thing of learning what makes Michael tick, you know. Um, Huberman said, he, he said uh, that he learned a really valuable lesson from you, uh, Andrew Huberman. He said that um, one time, and you've, you've seen him lately. I mean, he's, he's, he was always working quite a bit, and it feels like he's working even more now, right? He's, right. he's doing public education, if you will. And right. he said that he made some comment out of the side of his head, like, oh, you know, I'm so busy or work is so much. And he said you said something to him that r- changed the way he thought about it forever, which was that it was such a gift to be busy and to have options and to have opportunity and never to say that. And so he says every, any time he gets where he's almost moving to that place of like, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed or like I'm too busy or I have too much work. He says that he hears you and that it's the gift. And so I think that that's something you naturally have um, that, that really is obvious where I've never heard you say, I'm so busy. It's like, you, it's like you, I think that's a feel is like why you attack everything so much. Cause it's like, Oh, here's another opportunity. Here's another chance. Here's another gift to do something, um, that is cool or important to me or, um, even, you know, telling stories about the sharks. So how many years did it take for you to compile the images you needed to do your book? Well, I took like, I remember going to Benedict with maybe, 10 years into it or 11 years into it and at the time I was like it was going to be a great white book because a great white is a cool shark you know yeah. and then he was like how many species are there I'm like 550 he's like well how many cool sharks how many cool socks are there <laughs> and it's German that's in the bad German of course yeah but um, how many cool <laughs> and I'm Mula <laughs> let's see if I can hook the Mula how many cool sharks are there? Um, and I'm like, yeah, 20, 30, we'll go shoot those. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to need two or three more years, and I'll go out and shoot those at the level of, you know, which is why when I started my horse book, I was like, hey, it's going to be in Arabian, and then I'm like, he's going to be 20 pages, and he'll be like, this was the same horse. I thought it was a horse book. So I broadened it out to horses. I learned my lesson. Um, yeah, it took, it took, you know, so it was, it was a good, you know, 13-year project from, and then the book from start, us starting to talk to actually being on the shelves was four years, I think, you know? I mean, it's glorious, though. Mm. Yeah, it's, I it's mean, nice. I mean, it's a beautiful piece of art. It is, and, and you know... Do you ever relook at it and then also remember, it must be kind of an amazing kind of bookmark on times and dives in certain moments. And Yeah, yeah. When I go through my archives, even my commercial work, I'm like, God damn, I've shot a lot. Like, yeah. I don't even forget half the shoots I've done. And I'm like, oh, wow, I remember that. You know, the the it, it popped into my mind a few minutes ago, and I got to say, this is one of my big sort of mantras and that I live by, which is change your perception. Change your beliefs, right? Yeah. We've been talking about that seems to be a thing. But change your perception hashtag was the hashtag me and my shark guys use, change your perception, right? And that was sort of my goal was to change your perception on sharks. And I really realized that the book didn't do that. Photos didn't do it. I mean, you might say those are beautiful photographs. 
but it didn't, it didn't change your thinking that you're still scared of sharks. Is that know? what led to the VR project? That's what really, yeah, led to it. That and then TV doesn't really change your perception. But what I saw change people's perceptions, including my wife, who did the 18-hour boat ride and went down, and she cried. I'm not kidding. Like, tears out of her eyes. I can't believe how irresponsible I'm going to die. And it's not going to be you. It's going to be me, the wife of White Mike. And, and our kids are going to be without parents. Like, literally went there. Oh, went oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just went there. <laughs> and we're in our little cabin on the boat. And I'm just like, okay, it's going to be fine. <laughs> And so she went down on the second dive, was out of the cage, not swimming with fins on, but yeah. on standing on top of the cage yeah. and ready to jump on the back of the shark and grab the you know dorsal fin and swim off. That's how comfortable, that's how fast her, her, you, she her thinking. She changed her perception. Yeah. And I saw that with everyone, I sort of, most everyone I brought out on the boats. And when you got there and you saw the sharks, that's when the perception changed. Well, I'm like, I can't bring everyone out. Mm. So when VR came along and I was in my head, I was in LAX, on my way to Antigua, and I'm like, wait, VR, it's a ball of cameras I put on a pole. I'm bringing you with me mm-hmm. on the dive. Yeah. That might work. And I put my horse project on hold, and because at that point I was sort of done with shorts. I'm like, okay, 15 But the years technology, I think, because I, you've been trying, I mean, you've worked on this for a minute, but I feel like the technology actually finally just caught up to, to really, you know, be able to do justice to the project. Yeah, I mean, the... I feel like I'm still a couple years too early. Like VR hasn't really picked up the way I think it will be at some point in the future mm-hmm. when Apple comes out with a real thin light goggle yeah. or there's glasses. Like remember the Oakley blades? Yeah, sure. Imagine when the VR, the screen's that thin and you can put it on and be like that. Yeah. Which will happen eventually. People are going to shop and do their things, you know, with avatars and all that good stuff. But, you know, I have all this IP that I, I feel like I'm a few years too early, but... Um, you know, when people watch it, they're like, that's what VR was made for. Like, that that was cool because it's experiential. Uh, and I realized also by watching other people's VR, it's like, you can't just put eye candy up, even if it's the coolest eye candy possible. If you don't have a story to engage people, they're, yeah. they're going to be bored in a minute or two. So, you know, I had a, a, you know, one of my closest friends who's an actor, and I went to it for, he's like, just keep it personal. Tell them about your journey, you know, make it a, you know, and, and yeah. I sort of did that throughout the series, and um, it's exciting to bring out and, and put out in a way, because not everyone has a, head, a headset. I was going to say, so explain how exactly this all works. Well, I mean, it was a... God, that was a whole... There was a whole other... You know, I was like, okay, I want to do VR. Um, and i got to make a proof concept, so i got to go out and shoot this, because I think it's going to be cool, but i got to go do mm-hmm. it to raise any type of money or show... So I went down and, and Andrew, I met Andrew Huberman two days. Like I got back from Antigua and he said, okay, they all want to meet you, the production company. I'm like, okay, great. Let's start setting it up. And then two days later, Huberman called me out of the blue. I was like, hey, we're interested in your shark work. Were you scared of sharks? Yeah. And now you swim without a cage, nothing. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, you've, what you've done in the neurology space, like the free climbing, you've rewired your brain and we want to bring you up and study with you because we want to use VR technology to help people with PTSD and anxiety. I'm like, Andrew. Starting a VR project right now, and I have PTSD. And yeah. he's like, "No way!" So we ended up partnering up, and I brought five of his scientists out, and they let me go out of the cage, film it on the on the the only way to shoot at that time, really to shoot uh, VR into orders with six GoPros. Oh yeah. So my takeaway going back was one: I'm not shooting on GoPros. So I got to make a whole new camera system that doesn't exist because that's not how I'm making this. Right. And I need to raise millions of dollars in the next couple months, or I have to wait a whole other year because it's animals and they're migratory. 
So I got back and cut it together and I put it on. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like people at the checkbooks are just going to whip out because this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And that's not what, you know, Facebook, no one was paying, putting money into VR like that, especially into, you know, sort of video content. And then... Right, like if it was a game somehow. Yeah, if it was a game and, and uh, you know, and I understand because the VR that people were putting out, they were putting a camera on a stick. Yeah. And you see enough of that crap and you're like, well, this sucks, you know. And my chiropractor, Dennis Colonello, who's mm-hmm. another life changer. He's been a, a very good spiritual guide, physical guide with me. Um, had a client that he, he has my book in his office and said he wants me to. And so I went down and showed him the VR. And he was, uh, you know, he's in the energy business and became yeah. a partner and gave me a, you know, basically partnered up with me financially. And we went out and spent the next sort of year and a half crisscrossing the planet, reshooting everything. With 14 cameras. So I met these guys that made a stereoscopic. So it was like 120 pound housing, pushing that around. And and it was like a, you know, it was a dream to shoot like the holy grails of diving. And then, you know, I've, I'm, we're releasing it in a way that you don't have to, it's not just for headsets. You can watch it on your phone so you can look around so everyone can see it. And, you know, people with kids, you put it on, they can watch where they're on a plane. And it's almost two hours of content. Yeah. And so you, you do narrate it. And it's like you say, it's your journey. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if people, uh, you know, watch this when they watch it and they think, you know, I would like to make a difference. I live, though, in Ohio. I'm not connected to the ocean, but I want to help protect these animals. Is there a group that you really like the way that they're approaching uh, protecting sharks or other, you know, sea creatures? Because it's a it's a hard, you know. You also even hear the politics in like the environmental space. You know, is there a group that you really are connected with? Yeah, there's there's a few of them. I I partnered for this project with Wild Aid mm-hmm. in Parlay for the Oceans. Wild Aid really um, champions animal rights all around the the world, and different. You know, not just sharks, and you know they do ivory and rhinos mm-hmm. and. You name it, and they are a uh, big presence in China, a big presence here. You go to LAX, you know, at the airport, you'll see their billboards up everywhere about trafficking animals. And um, and then Parlay for the Oceans, Parlay TV is really focused on the plastic issue, alternatives, and getting companies to think outside the box and committing to, you know, less plastic or plastic-free. Uh, and, and then there's, you know, I mean, there's just a bunch of amazing sea shepherds in Oceana and uh, a bunch of other organizations out there that are great, but... Those are the two I partnered with for this. Um, and, you know, th- that's the thing. Being in Ohio or some state that's landlocked, you still have a lot of opportunities to help impact the ocean because of the choices of stuff you buy there or what you can do with your computer these days and lobbying and getting a group together, you know, um, getting petitions together to, you know, call your senators and your representatives and say, hey, vote on this shark finning bill. You know, there's just ways that you can help. Don't let where your geographics right. keep you from doing something, you know. And I, I think, so you, you said all these years ago you were, you know, thinking about your girls and that the world, they may not get to experience it this way. Do you feel... Ha- more hopeful or do you does it feel the same what what's how is your perspective that you've been you know sort of entrenched in this for in a real way for so many years how has that impacted your perspective 
You know, I, I know that I, I grew up with Cousteau planted that seed in me, you know, watching the, that stuff on TV and being like, oh, my God, that exists. That's out there. And, you know, kids are really jacked into technology these days. And that was sort of like, OK, and they're not going out to nature like I think we did as much as, you know, as kids. So I'm bringing nature to them, yeah. you know, through electronics. Um, <clears throat> I'm actually hopeful these kids, at least from my experience, with uh, that's all I have is mine with my kids. Yeah. And my daughters and their friends, who I watch and listen to, are very conscious and very um, pissed <laughs> at us and, and, and the planet they're inheriting. And I think they're very active and have this this little device in their hands that allows them to connect to other kids throughout our country, throughout the world, in ways we couldn't have. Um, and I think that they, I my hope, and I think that they are going to solve and deal with a lot of the issues that we are handing off and dropping in their laps. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't think they have a choice they, at this point. They have to deal with it, you know, um, yeah. because... It's not, not going away. No, it's not going and away. And it's not going to solve itself. No. I mean, that is, if anything's becoming more and more clear, it's like all hands on deck, if, whether it's you shooting and us re- being reminded, whether it's people trying to take care of themselves, whether it's dealing with plastics or pollution or air quality or whatever. It's like we all need to, whichever way, and I think that that's important, like that people are reminded it's what you're doing it the way you are inspired to do it and have access to do it. And it's that could be different than un, the way someone else does it. Um, I just wanted to, because this is a separate sort of side of your personality, but you're a creative and being a creative. And um, I was talking to our mutual friend, Eli Roth, who also has a shark movie mm-hmm. that's on Discovery... Discovery Plus. Plus. Thin. Yes, where he really g- drills down on the numbers and sort of what's happening. And I really appreciate the fact that he made this movie. But he... We were, we were sort of talking about you, and he, you know, the idea of, like, being a creative, there's going to be people listening to this who think, I would like to pursue that type of career path. It is scary. It's unknown. You're a freelancer, even when you're crushing it. You're a freelancer. Mm-hmm. And what is it in you? And you said something about you manifest it. You saw it. You saw the shark book with the ta- with Tashin. You have the horse book. It's like, what is it in you that kept you going, even when it's unknown, or that you could keep you know, you can have a level of success and then it goes kind of drier for mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, the markets change or whatever, and then you have to sort of find your new place in yeah. that. How do you, how did you, how have you done that? You know, I, and I, I say this, I say it often, I feel like, or anytime I'm speaking, like I'm a true believer in, in like Darwin says, evolve or die. It's really that simple. You have two choices. You evolve and deal with what's being presented to you with the changing technologies changing workplace and you either adapt to it or you get and I, you get weeded out to the sides and I've seen it happen in my at least in my profession you know the people at the top people at the bottom did fine if you're in the middle just gone yeah. done yeah. done and you know you, I think once again going back to being ch- childlike and being open-minded teachable yeah. like to me, that's exciting. That's what's exciting in life. Like, what can I learn today? Like, yeah. show me. I want to do something new that I've never done before. Um, and if it's slow time or it's not, you know, I mean, listen, COVID was like, my work went to zero. Okay, so I can sit back and 
get all depressed and wonder what to do. Or I can hop my car and load the girls up and be like, all right, let's go work on the horse book. Let's, let's go cruise around the country in this SUV and go shoot horses because this is an amazing opportunity. And let's go do some work inwards, Michael, because mm-hmm. when else are you going to get the time? For how long I've been like, I just want some, like, it would be great to have a month off to go work on me. Okay, well, here's a year off, dude. Go work on you. Yeah. Um, which is, that's sort of how I, you know, I approached I approached life, and that's how, you know, there's, there's sort of some analogies on how I've dealt with this. And, you know, I, I think that um, you only get, I'm here once, at least from what I know. Like, here's my experience. Mm-hmm. And people are like, God, you work so, you know, you work so much, or when do you, when do you, do you rest? Or do you take, and I'm sort of, my motto has always been, I'll rest when I'm dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I would sort of, and there is a part of me that's like, okay, maybe my adrenals, and this isn't sustainable, but I'd rather have 60 years at going full tilt, hundred, you know, doing a hundred percent than have 80 or 90 at 70% where I'm sort of mediocre and do it like. But maybe Muller, you're finding new ways to have the hundred percent, hundred percent output. Yeah. I think, because I think it's, it's both, right? Yes. It, it, because not Balance. at the cost of yourself. Right. Because I, you know, it's like you're doing this incredible work in the output, but also if you're just being beat up in the, you know, the process, I think there is like a, is it, you know, just it's a different kind of hundred. Yeah. If it's no, it's possible. balance. I mean, that's that's where, you know, the Dennis Colonos who help nurture my body back, yeah. your ice and heat, who you know these things, which not just my physical, but learning how to control your mind, your mm. you know the yeah. computer. And how to, you know, when you're in that ice, you have two options, breathe or yeah. jump out because your brain, your mind is freak yelling out. at you so badly to get to freak yeah. out, right? Which is the same thing that happens when the phone doesn't ring. Your brain freaks out because oh, yeah. it's like, it's over. You're never going to work again. You're never going to work again. They're not going to, they're not going to fire broke. pictures. Yeah, they won't love you. Yeah. They found out the truth. <laughs> they know, they know you're not a good photographer. I, I always go to this one. <laughs> Do I have stuff to sell? Okay, it's yeah. going to be okay. Oh, my God. Laird, this you is... rented for 10 years. You can rent again. You can <laughs> sell the, the house. That's what I mean. I got again. shit to sell. It's oh, okay. shit, right? Laird always says to me, sometimes he looks at me, I think someone like that, and you probably have more of this because you've been with sharks, but someone who's like been in waves and does that nature, you know, mother nature, he's like, you know, it's all going to be okay. And then he's like, and it is okay. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> I get the same thing. Shut up. I don't want to hear your advice. I'm like, but it's the same advice you give me. Your word is your wand. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Michael Muller, if people, they can find your books with Tash and I, mm-hmm. I have them. And um, if they want to, the VR project, how, what are the ways that they can experience it and how can they get it? Well, very shortly, there's going to be an app. It'll be called Into the Now that you'll download for your phone, for your mobile, uh, and same with your headsets. You know, I am. Uh, we're dealing with the Apple App Store, and you know, um, you know, stuff that's out of my control. Mm-hmm. The, the project was actually supposed to have been released by now, but yep. um, but Into the Now it'll come out. Uh, you'll see it if you follow. Go to my Instagram, which is at Michael Muller Seven. Uh, and then people will be posting it, and there'll be stuff out. But it'll be into the now. You'll be able to see it on your headsets, and then you'll be able to watch it on your phone. And the phone's really cool. You'll be walking through the airport, and you'll see someone holding up their phone and ocean stuff. Yeah, and, and it's you'll ext- be like, what is that? It's extraordinary, too, because like I said, Laird has been in the sea as much as anyone, mm-hmm. and he came back profoundly impacted and surprised by being under 
with the sharks. Well, I tried to get your husband to come out for like a decade. I know. And it was always the same time that he was out hunting the yeah, big waves. Yeah, of course. But then when it came time, he's like, well, I'm not. I'm like, where are you going this year? He's like, I'm not. I'm like, oh, well, then you can go on the shark trip. He's like, yeah, I could, actually. And then I saw him slowly trying to retreat back from agreeing to go. And thank God for your daughter, because she's like, no, he's going. Yes. I'm making him go on this trip. I'm like, good. Well, listen, our children make us, you know, do do things I mean, you have you have three daughters and um, a set of twins, which is mm-hmm. you know that's well. And, and, and your daughter and my daughter, you know, Eli Roth actually narrates one of the episodes, mm-hmm. and our daughters and your husband sort of narrates because uh, I, I was like, I'm so sick of hearing my own voice. I'm like, it's nice hearing from other people's uh, experiences from it. Um, the the Great White Trip, which was uh, which was really cool, and it was such a pleasure to have your your husband out there, and he spends more time than anyone under and on the ocean. Like it's not like well, as much as anyone. I'm like your husband, li- he's out there right now somewhere. He totally is. Totally I tried is. to get him a haircut today, it didn't happen. He's like, yeah, right. <laughs> so, Michael, I uh, I really appreciate the work you do, and I appreciate you know for people listening, we joke that your nickname is the Silverback because mm-hmm. you are just. Uh, a gorilla. Just you know the intensity. It's it's so beautiful to watch, and uh, we just really appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.